1: can college coaches make it in the nba should stars get together to form super teams have teams like houston and milwaukee started their seasons a little too cool for school the only question left is say it with me you win Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to our B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to click over on the link down below or on the screen because you're not going to want to miss the full audio interview with Steve Ashburner, my man, the the national columnist at NBA.com, where you can also find him at AshNBA, S-A-S-C-H-N-B-A. Steve, Thanks for taking some time out of your busy day traveling around the country to cover the NBA to talk to us.
2: Where are you right now? Well, today uh, I guess I'm cheating or, or slacking by those standards. I'm, I'm at home in, in the Chicago area, and I'll be, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm handling the Oklahoma City Thunder at Chicago Bulls game uh, tonight, Thursday, the TNT game.
1: Oh, wow. It's, uh, that should be a really exciting game. Is there any angle that you're covering right now?
2: Well, I wrote a I wrote a piece about Hoiberg and, and uh, Donovan and the uh, you know the college to pros thing and the fact that that's obviously a, uh, a minority uh, of the NBA coaches. Um, you know, there's a pendulum and a copycat effect in this league. So we see, you know, coaching jobs filled with former players. We see them filled with longtime assistants. We see them tilt towards the pluggers, the video coordinators, and analytics type of guys. And uh, every once in a while, there seems to be a spate of uh, college coaches who step into the NBA ranks and uh, more often than not don't fare that well. That is true. I mean, I guess there's not that many of them, but what have we seen so
1: far? We've seen uh, Kalpari, um, who other? What other college coaches have we seen? Well, uh,
2: yeah, yeah, you've had uh... – now, Ari P.J. Carlissimo, maybe, maybe two of the more successful ones just because they actually made the playoffs. You've got other guys that did it with, with less success, like Lon Kruger, uh Mike Montgomery, uh, Tim Floyd. You know, there have been a few. Now, now obviously, Hoiberg is a former NBA player. He's got a little bit of an asterisk on that. I mean, five years at Iowa State, but ten years as an NBA player. So he's got familiarity with the league, but in terms of coaching, he's never spent a day on an NBA bench uh, or staff. Same with Billy Donovan. Now, Billy Donovan had two decades spectacular success at the University of Florida, flirted with an NBA job back in 2007 when Orlando hired him for about 24 hours. Mm-hmm. He reconsidered, went back in like uh, Punxsutawney Phil, went back in at, at Gainesville for uh for what, seven, eight years, and and now he's trying it with a very good team in Oklahoma City. So um, every case is different. Every guy obviously is different, but there seems to be reasons why NBA teams don't routinely look to the college ranks when they have uh, job openings. You know, it's funny. They showed Donovan on the bench
1: uh, in one of the games I was watching this past week, and uh, flanking him were Monty Williams and Maurice Cheeks. And yeah. I, I tweeted out a picture saying, you know, it makes me a little concerned for a Coach when you have assistants on either side of you who have a lot more NBA head coaching experience, um, and because it seems to me that management could easily say, if it goes south, oh, we've got Monty Williams here who is already to take you know, take over. He's got all this experience, and I, I would have been, I would be
2: concerned if I were Donovan for some weird reason. Am I? Is that t- totally off base? Uh, I saw your tweet and you know I know what you were getting at and the fact is I've seen it not just with these college guys, but I've seen it with a when, a, when an assistant coach gets his opportunity at another team for instance, to be the head coach. Um, occasionally, I don't want to say uh, often, but but occasionally, you look at the staff they assemble and it seems as if the top priority was, I'm not going to hire my potential replacement. And so, you know, there's a there's a paranoia, I think, that does um, pervade some of this stuff. On the other hand, two reasons I would say that better that Billy Donovan has, um, you know, the guys he has, Monty Williams and Cheeks on the bench in Oklahoma City. One, uh, you look, you're supposed to have the best staff you can have. Everybody is supposed to fire on all cylinders as often as possible, and... If I'm going to be judged on a one-loss record after 82 games, assuming you make it that far, um, I want to have had the best input I can get. So I want to have competent people to delegate to. I don't want to just have somebody around because, well, I know he's not going to get my job. That's a lousy standard. And, And, yeah, well, that sort of goes into the other thing. I said two things, and the other one simply being, I want as many smart heads on the bench as I can tap into. People that have been in situations, obviously Cheeks as a player, Um, And as a coach, Monte Williams, you know, fresh uh, off the head coaching gig in New Orleans, you know, they know the league best when you're coming into all this newness, um, you know, not only in style, but in, in, in substance, coming in from the NCAA to the NBA, I think you need, uh, you need, you need to be strong enough and have a thick enough skin to want the best possible people around you. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Billy Donovan has guys who, you know, might right now be a better, be better NBA head coaches than he is. Sure. You know, it's funny because in college, I don't watch a lot of college,
1: but it's my impression from talking to a lot of coaches and players that they have so much more control over the game. They got a 35 second or a 30 second clock now. They're calling plays uh, every possession down. They're running these like sets that take 15 seconds just to get into them before you're attacking. Um, And I wonder, you know, are you seeing issues with uh, any of these college guys struggling with the 24-second shot clock at all?
2: Well, I haven't noticed it. I I have not seen Oklahoma City except a little bit on on television uh, to this point. Um, But I've seen Chicago multiple times. Uh, You know, Hoiberg played in the league. He knows the 24-second rhythms of the NBA. Mm -hmm. That, to me, hasn't been the issue, especially when both these guys are, are coming in you know, stating they want to play fast. They want to play with pace. Well, you know, if 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 you're somebody that would try to milk the clock down, maybe that would be an issue. But, but no, I wouldn't think that that's a uh, a big issue. I, I just think it's, you know, all these other things that, that go on, you know, on the court, yes, but off the court, too. I mean, the culture of it, the fact that an NBA, uh, a college coach is very much in charge. I mean, these are young guys, barely men, um, you know they listen to a college coach out of fear if no other reason in the nba the size of the paycheck can matter and while the coaches are very well paid they're generally not paid like the nba stars so stars let you coach them in the in in college if you choose to go to that school i mean your butt is that coaches for the duration that you're going to be there
1: Absolutely. That's a great point as well. So um, where else have you been traveling around to see uh, games and interact? It seems like you did a a couple pieces on Miami. Were you covering
2: them a little bit? I caught Miami when they played in Cleveland last Friday. Um, I was in Cleveland for that game, which, you know, I know we're a year removed from LeBron's uh, uh, departure from the Miami Heat, but, you know, it's hard to watch those two teams on the floor together and not think of all the, you know, the crossover and the, and the pollination that, that went on there during his four years with the heat. And so um, it was interesting to me. I talked to uh, with Dwayne Wade, who um, I don't know. I find all those guys more likable now. And, and it, not, not that I held the grudge. It just sort of stuck in my craw for a few of those years that I like things better when the best guys are competing rather than teaming up to maybe do a little bit of bully ball. And so the fact that LeBron went to Cleveland, I thought was terrific. Back to Cleveland. Uh, the fact that Wade and Bosh are f- going to figure it out with new pieces now, I like that better. Um, you know, I understand what what the appeal was when the big three, you know, formed in, in the summer of uh, 2010. I just happen to like the league better when you've got your stars spread around, and uh, you know nobody's looking to take a shortcut necessarily. Now LeBron certainly assembled help, um, but a little different uh, it felt. It wasn't it wasn't sort of this um, the class of 23, 2003, you know, deciding we're going to dominate the you know however many championships and NBA finals. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of
1: funny because, you know, you were a man of, of experience and we, and you go back uh, pretty far into the NBA where, you know, I, we saw all the criticism from Barkley and I think maybe even Jordan
2: got into it as well yeah, as, yeah. what's that? Yeah, that, no, you're right. Those are the guys. Uh, several guys said that. Magic, I think, chimed in. Yeah. And, and I get it. You know, the funny
1: thing is, is if you look back, like, you know, uh, Red Arbuck. Uh, would, would stole the players basically for, from the, to make that the best team in the '80s for the Celtics, right? And and you know, I I wonder where does the romantic notion come in where we like to see you know the teams draft a player and then help him improve and then they the team stays together for a few years and gets their lumps. I wonder what what do you think that where does that come from and why is that that is why is that more appealing than than just signing players like the Heat did?
2: You know, I'm not sure. I I get that. I mean, is it more palatable when a general manager uh, assembles a team of stars um, as opposed to when the stars assert that that control themselves? You know, it shouldn't be. But um, I think maybe the fact that that the team building that's done sort of behind the curtain isn't as blatant or as offensive, you know, as as when you see it out in the open. And it seemed like, you know— to me, it's like going to the YMCA and you play a pickup game, and clearly the best players on the floor decide, okay, we're going to be our team, you know, and all you nerds and, and schlubs, you know, you try to beat us. And it just, there's a there's a fairness factor there that, you know, if you if it's sort of like, well, we have a league and we all have teams and our team stinks, well, we're going to show up and try the best against that other team in the league that was put together by, how, you know, whomever. I don't know. It seems it's, there's a layer there that, that's not quite as, uh, not rubbing your nose in it quite as much. I felt that those guys were kind of rubbing their nose in it. It felt like LeBron was bailing on the whole Cleveland thing. Um, Wade seemed like he was recruiting his big brother to, to kind of fight his fight. So, you know, there was a lot of that stuff. Maybe it shouldn't have bothered me like it did. It bothered me basically that first season. And then when Dallas beat them in the finals, I thought, okay, well, they are going to have to earn this regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I welcomed LeBron going back to Cleveland and, you know, the, the Miami situation, those guys having to sort of prove it again well let 's talk about your relationship with players because i'm sure a lot of people
1: um, would be really fascinated to get into your head a little bit and what that's like when you 're getting access and you're trying to interview these guys and they, either they, they do or they don't want to even be there at the time you know in the last couple of years, has anyone stood out in your mind who's been you know particularly interesting and, and open about talking to you
2: Oh boy i'd have to uh, give that some thought for a little while. I think that gen- generally speaking you know, access is a, a real issue right now for people in the media, and that, I don't expect anybody to, you know, uh, you know, hold a telethon or or, or <laughs> break out the handkerchiefs for us, but the fact is we are there in the best of times, you know, to, to be where the fans can't be and to relay the personality and the thoughts of, of the players and the coaches, you know, to, to the people that, that, you know, care enough about it in our audience, so there are a lot more media representatives now than there used to be. There's a lot more separation between the teams, the players, the coaches, and those of us who, who covered the league back when, um, you know, it started with charter flights where traveling beat writers no longer flew on the same commercial aircraft as, as players and and teams. And that those those moments lent themselves to a lot of downtime and a lot of casual relationship building. It doesn't go on anymore. It's basically now people from different neighborhoods, you know, trying to get to know each other when one lives in a gated community and those gates hardly ever uh, open. Now, that said, I will, I will talk about one plus of the modern era, which is television. And even in the limited amount of time that I spend with my mug on the air or my voice with NBA TV there's you know there's an awareness and, a, and a, a presence that the players coaches you know less so they're a little bit older and older school but the players you know they were raised in a soundbite world and and they they notice you know oh, okay yeah tv I, I i know who this is as opposed to just another writer from just another market and so you know you do see a little glimmer of recognition sometimes which i mean it's nice i you know i'll, I'll be honest if if anything, that allows you to get your foot in the door, and the old salesman approach, door-to-door salesman, you get your foot in the door, and, and that's a way to to, to start a, a conversation, which is a way to to build a relationship. Um, but it's it is tricky, and I and, and I my own theory is that the popularity of analytics, you know, beyond what they actually mean on the court, it's been embraced by a lot of writers because they're so blunted in their attempts um, or short on experience in developing the relationships. And it seems like, well, you know what, I don't need to talk to so-and-so if I can just look at his numbers and crunch some numbers and, and do that, you know, uh, even not even at the arena. And, and I just think that that stuff's really good. I, I find it quite interesting, but I think it's still a people, uh, sport. It's a people business. And I don't think you can separate personality and, uh, you know, people's individual histories from from what we're seeing out on the floor. Uh,
1: you know, that's a really great point. It's funny because, you know, there, we are no strangers over here to analytics and, and creating pieces on our website and even on my uh, video side with just numbers and looking at it that way. Uh, although I just did a thing last week with Lamar Patterson of the Hawks, and he came on and we broke down, you know, four or five of his field goals. And I have to yeah. tell you, that was much more exciting and interesting to have him with me Des, you know describe the play because otherwise it's just me kind of like, you know inferring when I know but like here's a guy who's in the middle of the play And uh and I think that what that what that taps into is what you're talking about is the is that ex is that Personal accessibility where I think everybody benefits. I think the fans get into it You get a lot more information and then uh, and I think the players themselves come off as nice very smart very skilled uh, You know cool guys
2: Yeah, very much so and I you know I don't think there are many players in the league who are resistant to media people just because they're media people. I think, I think it's the frequency of the requests, and I think it's the quantity of, of us. And when they look at, you know, 12, 15 Man. people huddled around, I, and I, I can see where that can be a little bit off-putting. And when they get asked multiple times in a short frame of, uh, of time, you know, do you have a minute, do you have a minute, do you have a minute? You know, I could see that being a, a problem, too. I don't know that there are guys that just... there Well, there are some, obviously, always when you have 450 players, but I don't think there are that many that, you know, just want to be nasty. I 20 years ago, I said that the NBA was by far the best league to cover. You know, the NFL's got this militaristic approach to things, very controlling. Um, baseball requires such investment of time and and i've always had the the view that they call their locker rooms clubhouses for a reason and they're always quick to remind you that you guys aren't in our club you know this is our club we essentially live here for 162 games and you reporters are are interlopers whereas nba it seemed like you had a lot more individuals you had a lot more carefree spirits i always thought it was a, a great access sport people rave about hockey the nhl as well um it's changed a lot in the NBA, um, and and I'd hate to see it go much far further because um, we do lose a little sense of, of who it is we're we're following.
1: Well, let's focus on some of the teams right now and what's going on this year in the in the young season that we have. And uh, has anything you know uh, come across your desk or your eyes that struck you as interesting about the season as it started?
2: Well, I mean, you know. I had this feeling last night in watching the first of what will be four meetings between the Clippers and the Warriors, and everything that the Warriors had done in in their five and O start. That um, is there any way we can just sort of fast forward to to <laughs> deep deep May? I'll, I'll give you that. I'll say okay, let's get to the conference finals. I don't need to go all the way right to the finals here, but you know it, it has this feeling that. There's a there's a coronation that's going to go on here more than there is a competition uh, the, the Warriors just seem to be playing at a level above everybody else. Steph Curry has driven defenses to distraction again as he had and um, I don't know short of and I'm not, I'm, I'm not on word for us here because I'd hate to see it but I don't know anything short of a major injury that is going to uh, get in Golden State's way. Um, so I mean there's that. Um, I, I got up last week to see Milwaukee, and I know it became a trendy thing to kind of pick them to take a step backward this year. I think that comes naturally from whenever a team makes such a stride as the Bucks did that you think, well, are they automatically just going to build from there, or do they have to gather themselves and maybe take a step back before they can uh, push forward? But um, I think there are a couple issues with that team uh, that, you know, really have to to get addressed over the course of the season, one is you know their scoring whether they can score enough, and uh, and two is you know a sense of, a second of, a pecking order in terms of who it is that's going to stop you know step up to make to make plays. Now defensively they've had their issues too, which was supposed to be a strength. So you know the Bucks have a lot of work. I hope that, I mean Jason Kidd's done a good job in Milwaukee, and he seems to enjoy the teaching aspect of it. Maybe we're all a little too impatient for them to get on to the competing uh, level as opposed to the developing level, but they've got work to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there there are some bright spots. Giannis is scoring like over 20 a game, and uh, that was certainly a shock to me over the first five games. Um, and I think you know what happens is you might think you're a little too cool for school, right? You come out, you come off of that little uh, that little series, uh, the Mike Dunley experience against the Bulls. And um, maybe they're not, you know, playing as hungry as they did on defense, which, you know, perhaps Jason Kidd can get a couple practices in there, get them running a little bit and remind them. Uh, but, yeah, that certainly is interesting. I think, I think Toronto being 5-0 uh, and is interesting as well to me going through it. Um, and, you know, who do you think is going to, you know, how do you think the West is going to shake out as we get farther along toward that conference final you want to see?
2: Well, you know, I, I... – I've got to assume Houston is going to sort things out and do a little bit better. I mean, that that they've, they've had a, an epically poor start and that might be what you talked about with Milwaukee might be, you know, the old reading your own press clippings. And, you know, what we always, what we always dealt with, with, with good teams. Um, I remember when I covered the university of Kentucky for a year back in the eighties down in Lexington, they, they started every year playing for the tournament. You know, and so the trick was navigating the regular season just for the opportunity to go, you know, to a Final Four and win. And I think that with the best teams in the NBA, it's the same thing. And, and sometimes, you know, you get a little distracted. You get a little lulled because you think, well, in a sport where there's 16 playoff qualifiers, of course we're going to get in. We'll probably be a top uh, four seed. And, um, you know, then we can kick it into another gear. And, you know, if we've, if we've learned anything, though, is that, once you try to do that, it usually uh, fails pretty miserably. So, you know, Houston to me is a, uh, you know, a team that they've got the tail and I just wonder whether they're going to uh, pull it together. And then, and then, you know, obviously San Antonio with LaMarcus Aldridge and how that, how that meshes over time. I have no reason to think that it won't become a pretty effective and formidable combination. But, um, you know, there's learning, learning pains. Um, I'm a little saddened. By uh, by Memphis and what I've seen of them. I mean, when your coach Dave Yeager is saying, you know, we looked a little old. Uh, uh, you know, the night they played <laughs> Golden State. Um, that's not good. I I love old school basketball. I love you know the NBA battles in the paint and the and the Clydesdales. You know of of Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol, even though he's you know a more modern big man. But, uh, you know, I, I will really be disappointed um, when the day comes that the Memphis Grizzlies have to chuck that and, and uh, they join the uh, pace and space crowd like the rest of the league.
1: Okay, so interesting. So you're, so you're not such a huge fan of, uh, of the uh, spacing and
2: shooting threes. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of sameness and, and pervasiveness. And I just think that the, that the pendulum yeah. has gone too far. I feel like you know, okay, corner three, corner three, corner. You know what? I mean, having grown up followed this league, having you know even covered players like uh, Julius Irving and Larry Bird and Dominique Wilkins and and uh, Bernard King and you know some of the some of the most creative basketball you'll see ends up with guys taking shots in in mid range. And mm-hmm. I just feel like a lot of that now, it's like they're going to get a finger wagged at them, or, or they're going to get you know, some snark sent their way when. Well, wait a minute. Anything that's not restricted area or outside the arc, you know, you got no business doing that. Lamarcus Aldridge even heard some of that. I mean, you know, and he took he took more twos than pretty much anybody in the uh, in the game. But I, I had it too much, too much one way. Now, obviously, if if one way is considered to be the way to win, you know, that's what's going to drive everything. But you know, I just. I like battles. I like power forwards posting up. I like big men underneath the uh, the rim. Um, I like the mid-range jump shot, and I just feel like we don't get enough variety right now.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you like movies about gladiators, <laughs> uh, as well. <laughs> uh, and uh, and anyway, we, we, I don't have enough uh, airplane airplane references in me, except for the fact that uh, Kareem was probably his best role. Um, now. now- Let's let's take one. Before we finish, I know that you had covered the, the Timberwolves for a long time back in the day when Flip Saunders first started uh, coaching there, and had written an article last week about it. And I thought um, we could just touch upon uh, some of your thoughts about about Coach Saunders and what he meant and, and, and how he did his business and uh, and in and, and, and this unfortunate event.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, Flip as a as an NBA coach and, and executive, and then Flip as a guy to cover. You know, I mean, I saw. Uh, sort of both versions um, and in terms of the latter as a guy to cover. What, what always stood out for me was because of his personality, because he was a positive, uh, generally upbeat guy, um, you know, he favored as a coach, he favored offense over defense. He, he, he had to deal with the rap of, well, he doesn't like confrontations, you know? Well, yeah, a player friendly coach generally doesn't, and he would delegate that stuff to somebody else on his staff if he had to air out a player or, or, or really come down hard. And the way that it showed up in, in my dealings with him was even if he didn't like criticism that I had to write or a story that I had to break that wasn't great for the team's image, or you know, you name it, um, he didn't hold grudges. And within 24 hours, you know, he was back to the, you know, the same old flip and the and the, the the attitude that permeated from him was, "Hey, we're all making money. You know, making a living in basketball. That's pretty darn good. And and you know, why are you going to have a storm cloud over your head? So, you know, there, there are coaches and there are people in the game that harbor grudges, and there are media people that that have vendettas, and there's you know a lot of, you know, sort of smallness and nastiness that can rear its head. And and with Flip, it was just sort of easygoing, and and that was much appreciated because. You know, I covered I covered his his ten year run in Minnesota the first time around as a beat guy. Um, you know, they had good, they had bad, they had disappointment, but you know, you you, you sort of got to know people and it and in getting to know Flip, um, I can understand why so many people around the league you know were so rattled when he passed and 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 were so gen, uh, genuine in their in their um, expressions of of uh, you know regret and and uh, appreciation. So. Um, as a coach, you know, I thought he was a lot of fun to cover. I mean, he loved to coach offense. He had a thick playbook. He wanted players to succeed. And uh, um, he did some great work. Uh, just never, never quite broke through uh, to the finals or, or championship. I, I agree.
1: I mean, I, I, I still remember watching the, uh, I, I guess it was 04 when they played the Lakers in the conference finals. And um, I, uh, the only thing I can take from that, my, my biggest memory, isn't as much flip, but it was that, you know, Kevin Garnett, I, I don't think I've ever seen a guy dominate a series and then having them lose that series. And then that guy dominated that series. They had nothing they could do to, to stop him.
2: Yeah, it's too bad, too, because the, the Lakers had been their nemesis for, for quite a while, previous playoff uh, exposures. And I don't think that the Timberwolves, now I know they were, they were lacking Sam Cassell who had had messed up his hip that was a a real problem for them but mentally I'm not sure that team thought they could get past Shaq and Kobe Gary Payton and Karl Malone clearly at the at the back end uh, by that point but that team was ready to be toppled it had internal strife the Pistons took care of that I think if if Minnesota had had a little bit more confidence in addition to uh, a healthy uh, Sam Cassell um, that's a big if I understand but that 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 team could have broken through. Who knows how that would have affected Minnesota the next year? They might have been able to keep it together for at least another year with Cassell and Spreewell. Maybe those guys get a little bit uh, more taken care of and happier contractually the next season. So mm-hmm. who knows? And at that point, then does Garnett, you know, is he as willing to to move in search of a championship if he was able to win one in Minnesota? So it's fun to it's fun to look back and think about what if, even if it didn't necessarily go. Uh, the Timberwolves way but it was a it was a tremendous team Garnett was at the peak of his powers and um, you know I broke him in as a timber pup when he was a rookie in 1995 and you know to see the Hall of Fame career that he put together and the passion that he brought you know night in night out whether he got under people's skin or across the line of decorum at times I get that but um, you know I'll take it if I have if I get all that passion and and uh, production uh, along with it so um, I, I really enjoy seeing guys who play that way and, and the fact they're few and far between makes it even more special
1: absolutely and uh, you know we'll have to uh, remember flip with from those teams and the success they had and what he meant because uh, you know those were special times and you're right it, you know it, it, a couple things change and break differently then he's probably you know not done coaching there in 2005 and then um, you know a lot of things change
2: no doubt no doubt so um, I just think that it, you know it, it's a shame but it, but I'm going to try to look at it as a positive that a lot of his work as an executive um, you know, obviously there's always tweaking there's always further moves but the the foundation in Minnesota has been set it would be it would have been great for him to be around and now see that come to fruition and, and see what they can build on top of that foundation but I just I think they're on their way I, I think that uh, he was able to get enough work done. Um, before he had this, uh, you know, this illness that, um, you know, it, it should be a, a good run now for, for Minnesota, and they certainly deserve it. Well, Steve, you laid a very good foundation for the knowledge that we
1: need to have for the NBA season going forward, and I can't thank you enough for coming on. And uh, you'll have to come on again. Uh, we'll check in with you later on in the season.
2: Yeah, please do. I didn't mean to ignore the elephant in the room. I mean, the Chicago Bulls have their issues too right now. So um, maybe we can check in and and, and check up on them uh, the next time around. Absolutely. You got it. And don't
1: forget, sports fans, at V-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? You in, Steve? I'm in.
0: stores.